Today's sermon is three parts. Get real, believe, love, and be amazed. Now, we're going to be turning to a whole lot of scripture and sweeping through kind of a major subsection of the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah is bringing God's word primarily with relationship to Israel as a whole, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, and to Jewish people and Israelites who lived over 2,500 years ago. There's a message to us about that, but I want to invite you and myself to be thinking about how this applies to us in at least a couple ways. Some of us, and definitely some people we know and love, may be caught up in cycles of sin. I mean, deep sin that is bringing destruction and self-destruction. So I want you to think about those folks and pray about those folks and what God's word is saying to you, both in your relationship with them, both to reach out to them as well as to be distinct from them. Okay, do you hear what I'm saying? And then that bridges into the second point of application. For us, if we are going to be God's people in an age and in a culture and in a nation, which is primarily uh, moving increasingly into darkness and away from the light of God, how are we supposed to navigate through that? And there's a message to us here as well in God's word about being faithful to and not simply clinging to our faith, but understanding that God is clinging to us and is going to redeem us and has a big plan, both for world history as well as for our salvation. So I want you to be encouraged by that today and just think as we move through the story of Israel, I'll do a few application points for our own lives. But understand, this is a message, message not just about biblical history. It's a message to us through biblical history right now, okay? So get real, believe love, and be amazed. Now, we're going to work through these three parts and read four segments of Isaiah. I intentionally included the opening verses of Isaiah 44 as well. I preached uh, and highlighted those verses back on Pentecost Sunday about God. Part of the way God's going to redeem his people, of course, is to bring forth the pouring out of his Holy Spirit on his people. And that is fulfilled in the day of Pentecost, right, uh, in the early church. So uh, just remember that. We're not going to turn to that today, uh, but we are going to do four segments of scripture reading related to get real, believe love, and be amazed. Um, now, our first message and our first segment of scripture, Get Real, we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 42, verses 24 and 25. If you've been with us or been listening online for the last few weeks, you'll know that I've preached three sermons on the first major segment of Isaiah 42, the first servant prophecy or servant song, and then what flows immediately out of that, that God is going to send this servant. And there's, there's four of these prophecies running through this segment of about 15 chapters in Isaiah, and we've been highlighting that. Okay, now we're turning to the close of Isaiah chapter 42, because the truth is, although God is going to send his servant, the royal servant, to redeem Israel. Israel is not looking for that royal servant, and most of the people are going to turn away from that royal servant even when he comes. So let's deal with reality check um, in 
in, in the eighth century and moving into the seventh century and beyond uh, BC in Israel. So Isaiah 42 verses 24 and 25. Who gave up Jacob? That's a way of referring to Israel as a whole people. Okay, Jacob. Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord? Was it not Jehovah? Was it not Yahweh? Against whom we have sinned, in whose ways we would not walk, and whose law they would not obey? So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him, in other words, it set Jacob, it set Israel as a people, it set him on fire all around. But he, the Jews, the people of Israel, he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Get real. One of our heroes in the faith who served in major office in the United States, the Surgeon General in the Reagan administration in the 1980s, Dr. C. Everett Koop, who, by the way, was a strong Presbyterian evangelical, a member of 10th Avenue Presbyterian Church uh, from Philadelphia, from Pennsylvania. Dr. C. Everett Koop once said, reality is the leading cause of stress among those who are in touch with reality. Let me repeat that. Reality is the leading cause of stress among those who are in touch with reality. Are you in touch with reality here in the 21st century? It's pretty hard to be in touch with reality. There's a lot of false reality and false narratives and digitally created creations going on in our technological age. There's not a lot of reality checks going on. I wanna call you today to reality checks. Uh, speaking of the Surgeon General, let me also, in that area of governmental leadership, let me tell you that early this year, President Joe Biden nominated Dr. Rachel Levine as Health Secretary of the State of Pennsylvania you may know some of the controversy as far as the dealing with COVID in Pennsylvania by Rachel Levine. Uh, President Biden nominated her to become Assistant Secretary of the U.S. Department of Health. Dr. Levine was confirmed by the United States Senate, a 52 to 48 vote with Senators Murkowski and Collins voting along with the Democrat and Democrat Socialist. Uh, majority, with Bernie Sanders also voting in favor. This past Monday, just, just Monday of this week, I don't know if you paid attention to the news, but this Monday, Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy oversaw Dr. Levine's swearing in to office with the U.S. Public Health Commission Corps as Assistant Secretary of the Department of Health and as a four-star admiral in the Corps, four-star admiral. As such, Levine became the nation's second most important and powerful medical leader 
in our nation, overseeing all kinds of things, everything from Medicare, some of you guys may be on Medicare, all the way through what happens at universities and university health care uh, that are under federal uh, you know, control and operations, all the way through children and et cetera, all, all through all the age groups of our nation. Surgeon General Murthy, the top medical science official in the Biden administration, joined other officials in hailing Admiral Levine's promotion as historic because according to official releases, Levine is the first female four-star admiral in the Commission Corps. The mainstream media filled in the gaps for you in case you didn't know the backstory here, uh, specifically celebrating Dr. Levine as the first transgender woman uh, to lead our nation as a four-star admiral. Uh, let's just go to reality checks here. Beyond the spin of the progressive uh, you know, media and progressive political elites that are in symbiotic relationship and basically controlling our culture in league with uh, entertainment industry, et cetera, this is not a great step forward for women doctors. Okay, just reality check here. This is not a high moment in second wave feminism. Reality check here. Because reality check, Dr. Levine is not a woman. Let me just be very honest and blunt about this. Dr. Levine is not a woman. This is contrary to the spin of the LGBTQ plus, you know, regime that seems to dominate everything in our culture and, 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 and controls the mind development of our young folks now through social media. In the past, the modern era accused biblically-based Christians as living in a fantasy world, that we're just believing little fantasies here and we don't deal with the real world and hard reality. Let me tell you, in the 21st century, it's the dominant elitist-led culture that is not living in actual core reality. <laughs> it's biblical Christians who are still in touch with, if we will open this book and understand the God who made us and how he made us, we're the ones who actually still have a hang, at least hanging on to some type of reality check. So I want to encourage you as you are bombarded with what we hear in the news and what's going on around our nation to step back and take reality checks, folks. Dr. Levine is not the greatest woman in our medical science history and medical science 101. She's not, he's not a woman. Well, we go back to our scripture that I've just read from Isaiah 42, verses 24 and 25, and this is a hardline reality check from God through the prophet Isaiah. Israel facing disaster after disaster, you know, with the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, the threat to the southern kingdom that's actually going to be brought to full force after the Assyrian Empire, by the Babylonian Empire. We've got all that going on in the background. And the question that is asked, this is a key question, and I want you to understand this. When you think about your own sin, and definitely people that you know that are in cycles of sin, the question is going to be, who messed us up? As American citizens, we might ask, you know, who got us into all this? Well, there, there are lots of people who've sinned and gotten us into all this, but who is bringing about ultimate disaster and running into walls? 
When you're in an addiction cycle, who gets you into your mess? Who gets you into your problems? Is it the bad football coach? Is it the bad spouse? Is it the bad boss? Are they the people who control history? Is it even the President of the United States or the Assistant Secretary and Four-Star Admiral leading our medical field? Is it, are those people in charge? And the answer is no. None of the above, because by the way, they're below. You need to go above to get the answer. God is sovereign. God is in charge. So we get this blunt question. Isaiah, it's almost like he's having to talk to children here. He says, like, who really defeated us? You know, when the Assyrians took out all the northern kingdom and most of the southern kingdom, who was, who was doing that? Who was bringing that punishment? Was it really Sennacherib? Was he in charge of all history? Now, um, the answer is God. And just like, well, you know, I've been hanging out with the wrong people and suddenly I get into a little bit of trouble but it was their fault for telling on me and this, that, and the other thing. And now I'm gonna get into more trouble and that policeman shouldn't have pulled me over and maybe I can get a good lawyer and get out of this. It, folks, this is God putting the flags up, putting the walls up, putting the barriers up. I don't know if you've ever dealt with somebody who's seriously addicted in a sin cycle, but they can hit multiple walls and you're sitting there saying, isn't this the wall? Isn't your marriage collapsing or losing your job or failing out of school or whatever? Isn't that enough of a wall for you? And some people, you know, I, I know and love folks like this. You may too, who even when they hit those kind of walls are like, well, you know, hey, I'm going to get out of this. I got this figured out. So this seems to be Israel in this case. And, and Isaiah is saying to the Jewish people, like, do you not understand who brought all this about? It was the Lord. It was the Lord. He's the one who's sovereign over history. It's not the United States of America. It's not the People's Republic of China. It's not the British Empire. It's not the Babylonian Empire. It's not the Persian Empire. It's not the Assyrian Empire. And it's not your little generals. It's God. The Lord, as God keeps saying through the prophet Isaiah, we see this in the earlier chapters, God simply uses, for instance, Assyria for a time for his purposes of discipline and wake-up calls. And then God is going to bring Assyria down. God later uses Babylon for a period of time for his historic purposes. And then Babylon's going to go down. God used the British Empire for his British American Empire for a time goes down. People's Republic of China, maybe up for a while, will be down. God controls history. God is above and beyond all our little historic cycles. Um, Israel refused to get real about this and refused, more importantly, to get real about the sin that God kept alerting Israel to, to the point where God ultimately allowed all of Israel to be taken down, including even, yes, the holy city, God's city, on which he had put his name, Jerusalem, and the temple that was supposed to be his house, that he departed long before the Babylonians destroyed it. And then we read that God's wrath burned up Israel, and all of this, this is really hitting the wall, but notice verse 25, still, he did not take it to heart. Do we take to heart God's warnings? Do you know people who refuse to take to heart what God is saying to them? 
Folks, we're just here for a few minutes on earth. It's not going to go on like this forever. Take to heart what God is saying to us, including the warning signs. So, uh, and notice though, and I want, to, I want to say this to you in encouragement on the get real part. We're about to get to believe love. But even in the get real part, notice that it's really nuanced here. That Isaiah, on the one hand, says, was it not the Lord against whom we, you hear that first person plural, we sinned. So Isaiah is acknowledging himself as a sinner. But then notice he goes on to talk about a third person plural. They would not walk in his way. And what's going on there? Okay, on the one hand, we are called, Christian, you're called to acknowledge that you're a sinner, number one. And number two, what God does to punish a larger group of people who are disobedient, a nation, a regime of nations, we will pay much of the price physically and historically for what the majority does. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay. So, so, so we are to confess our own sin, just like Isaiah in his great theophany, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5 says, um, woe is me, for I am, do you hear that? I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. But then Isaiah asks for and receives atonement. And the seraph brings the coal because of Isaiah's confession. Do you hear what I'm saying, Christian? If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin. The seraph brings the coal from the altar, the offering altar, and touches Isaiah's mouth. And what's going on there? Well, from the sacrificial offer, right, where the blood is on the coals, the blood of the atonement, ultimately pointing us to, and Jesus says, Isaiah saw my day and rejoiced, right? He saw my glory. God is redeeming and saving the repentant Isaiah through that moment. But the people, Isaiah prays for and prophesies for the people to respond, the larger people to respond, they're not responding. But you have to understand me, Isaiah has now been set apart unto the Lord, okay? You and I, even in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation, can be set apart unto the Lord. We need to get real before the Lord and say we are sinners too. But then we can say, if God saves us and directs us according to Jesus, we can say they would not go in his way. And we're praying for him, we're witnessing to him, but we are distinct from them. That's a really nuanced thing that's going on there in those two verses. Uh, Isaiah is both solidarity with his people and distinction from his people. Now, number two, believe love. Now, this is awesome. Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 7. I read these verses to you, or most of these verses to you, around Valentine's Day, and I told you this. I hope you remember it. There is one verse, one passage in the Bible where God directly says, literally says, I love you. And we're about to hit it again. I gave it to you at Valentine's time, okay? Uh, there are the, whole, the whole scripture, the whole Bible is telling us that God loves us. But this is a direct quote, the one time in the Bible where God says, I love you. And here it is, 43, 1 through 7. But now, thus says the Lord. All this passage, we're sweeping through a lot of scripture. It's marked off by the thus says the Lord moments. You can kind of follow scripture with this. But now, thus says the Lord. 
He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. Remember, I've preached about this before too, there are seven fear not commands in Isaiah 43 and 44. Okay, a lot of fear nots, seven of them. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and here it is, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, there it is again, one of the seven. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring, your seed from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will call up, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Um, let me give you uh, some things on what God is saying here. I want to invite you, the basic message here is believe his saving love for you. Okay? He claims you. Now, let me, let me develop this just a brief bit here with this scripture. There are two combinations of threes that I want to make you aware of in verse 1 and verse 4. Fear not, God commands us, for, and there's three things that God is going to say to us. Number one, I have redeemed you. Now, the word there again, as we've seen elsewhere in Isaiah, he's using the Goel word, okay, which is kinsman redeemer. This is like a family member who rescues other family members. Uh, this is what Boaz does for Ruth and Naomi. And all this, all the way from the Goel in the law of God, all the way through the Ruth story, all the way through what Isaiah is saying, points us to Jesus as our, he's not just our savior who rides in that we never knew anything about. He is our kinsman. He is family with his people. He's family with you. He's your kinsman redeemer. That's number one. I have redeemed you. Now they're in trouble. So how does this happen? God has already made it happen. God has already seen ahead what Jesus is going to do. Okay. And God sees you in the light of that love. I've redeemed you. Number one, I have called you by name. What does that mean? When a baby is born, who names the child? Does the nurse assisting name the child? Who names the child? The parents. This is father language, okay? He's the kinsman redeemer, and he's your father who has called you by name. He's named you, okay? He's named you. I'm your daddy, God is saying. And number three, you are mine. Who says that? That's what the bridegroom says to the bride. You are mine. So we've got the kinsman redeemer, the cross. We've got the father love of God for us. And we've got the love of Jesus who calls all of his people together as his bride. You are mine. Now, we may not understand that theologically very much, but we can understand this in basic human existence, can't we? 
This is, in other words, the full-fledged love. Any kind of great covenant love that lasts forever that you can imagine, it's all here. That's what God just said in verse 1 of 43. Now then, let's go on to verse 4. Because you are, and God gives us three things, because you are... In other words, I'm doing all this. I'm going to save you, even though you've been sinners. I'm going to save you. I'm going to, I'm going to, there broke no cost to save you because of three things. Number one, you are precious in my eyes. In other words, you're my treasure. I've chosen you. You're precious in my eyes. Number one, that's what God says to Israel. You're my treasure. Segula, okay? You're my treasure. You're invaluable. Number two, you are honored. Okay? Because I've set you apart as belonging to me. You are honored. And then number three, oh, you know this one was coming, right? To underline what we've been saying all along, and I love you. This is covenant love that God is talking about. Love that does not fail. It would be till death do us part, only does God die? No, so it's eternal. So here's the reason. God loves his people. The result is extravagant saving love. And, and there's two parts of how God is going to set this in motion. God is going to physically restore his people. God is going to bring the remnant, the faithful remnant, or some kind of remnant of his people back to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem will be restored physically. And today we're going to look at how he's going to put that in, in motion through amazing means uh, for a few minutes. Through a guy named Cyrus and the whole rise of the Persian Empire overtaking the Babylonians who took the, overtook the Assyrians. But the second thing is, you got to understand, this section of Isaiah is pointing to two types of restoration. Physical and basic, okay? And then spiritual. The love part is going to ultimately speak not just to physical, but to spiritual, okay? Because understand this, if I have a child who's in a drug pattern or some other kind of problem pattern, and I go bail my kid out of jail and get him back home physically but he's still running around with the drug dealers and the gang? Has that saved him? No. We're gonna to have to have a heart change too. But today, mainly the physical part that God sets up for the history of Christ coming, okay, and our spiritual salvation. We're called in the midst of the physical restoration to be amazed at what God does, his power over history, and to believe love. What is love? Here's love, here's the gospel. First John 4, 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son as the propitiation for our sin. He's the covering and the release from our sin, the very son of God. That's love. And so we're called to be amazed. Number one, God raises and then topples the powerful. God raises and topples the powerful. Um, Isaiah 43, 11 through 15. Isaiah 43, 11 through 15. I, I, God really wants us to get this, and a key, and a key, I, I am the Lord. And besides me, there is no, uh, there is no Savior. I'm the only Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also, henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work and who can turn it back. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, 
for your sake, I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans in the ships in which they rejoice. In other words, they're going to be defeated and have to run off in ships that they think are their wealth and power. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the creator of Israel, your king. God is sovereign over history. God is going to take Babylon down even, Babylon down, the brilliant, powerful Babylon. The people will be running off in these ships that they thought were their military power and the source of their worldly wealth. The, the elites are going to be fleeing before the, uh, the Persians and the Medes. This is the way it happens historically. Um, about 180 years after this time when this is being prophesied. So who's doing all this? It's God. And then look to this. Um, Isaiah 44, um, 24 through 28. Let me just tell you, as I read through this, this is set up so that we have another, um, we have another, thus says the Lord, uh, introduction here. And from the thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, remember I told you he's the kinsman Redeemer, you got 10 participles, which you'll hear, I'll highlight them, with the 10 who, who's done this, who's done this, all the way through the amazing surprise, God is going to prophesy a guy named Cyrus, the Persian emperor, who's going to allow the Jews to return to Jerusalem. And this is over 150 years before it happens, okay? So, uh, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, Isaiah 44, picking up at verse 24. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who, number one, formed you from the womb. I am the Lord. Number two, who made all things. Three, who alone stretched out the heavens. Four, who spread out the earth by himself. Five, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners. Six, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish. Seven, who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers? Eight, who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and of the cities of Judah, they shall be built, and I will raise up their ruins? Nine, who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers? And tenth, boy, surprise, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built. And of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. You're kidding me. After the Babylonians destroyed everything, this guy Cyrus that we've never heard of, the Persian emperor is going to do all this? Yes, God says, I'm prophesying in 150 years ahead. He's going to do it for me. He works for me. Moving on then to this amazing prophecy of Cyrus, just to introduce it here today. Uh, 45, thus says the Lord. Again, another, thus says the Lord. To his Messiah. That word is Messiah. This is like little M Messiah, okay? The big Messiah is going to have to deal with the salvation part. The little Messiah is going to deal with the physical restoration part. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, literally Messiah, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. Mighty Babylon's going down. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call your name, little Persian king. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. 
I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Be amazed. God uses the most improbable of servants to fulfill his purposes. And you know what? In your life too, Christian, God can use the most surprising people, and it's all under his orchestration. Are you seeing it? I invite you to see it. I invite you to get real. We need to get real, number one, to believe his love that will not let you go, and then to rejoice and be amazed at how he works all of history, including your history, to bring you to himself. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.